Thrive Church, it is Resurrection Sunday, and of course we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus every single Sunday, but once a year, we pause, we tell the story again, and we remember. Now, I don't know about you, but I need a little resurrection excitement about now. If you do too, do me a favor and give me a thumbs up if you're watching on Facebook. Um, if this is resonating with you, then let the world know that you're looking for some, some resurrection joy, and I hope that you're going to find that here today. I wish we were all together for hugs and handshakes, or at least fist bumps, but I'm glad that you're here digitally and we can do this um, this way. At least we can do it this way. So let's read the story again about the empty tomb. And I'm going to come back and point a couple of things out. And then I want to offer a couple of thoughts. So I'm going to invite you to join me in Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. I'm going to begin with verse number one. Let me read it uh, to you and then um, try to orient us to where we are in the story. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the woman, women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away wondering to himself what had happened. It's the word of the Lord. We believe it. Now, you've got to keep this in mind, the timeline. Jesus died on a Friday, and then, of course, his body was taken down and basically stored in this tomb until the body could be uh, prepared for long-term burial. They couldn't do that on Saturday because on Saturday it was the Sabbath where Jews rested. They, were allowed, they weren't allowed to do any kind of work at all. And so you had Friday, the death, Saturday, which was day of rest. And so Sunday, the first day of the week in the Jewish calendar, uh, what we call Sunday, was when the women early in the morning went to the tomb. So keep that in mind. That's where we are. Jesus had just died on Friday. They had Saturday to think about it. And now Sunday, here they were at the tomb, and they find things very different than what they expected. So let's take a look at this a little bit and, and see if we can, we can point some things out here. First of all, on the, um, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices. That was things that they used to prepare the body. They found it, um, found the stone uh, rolled away, and they couldn't find the body of Jesus. Now, I, Luke, in general, likes detail. 
And so he'll put little details in here and there as, as he learns them. And I really wish he uh, would have um, recorded something of what these women were thinking at that time. Can, can you imagine that? I mean, just think about it. You had one thing in mind, and when you got there, and it was completely different. It was very, very odd, very strange. While they were wondering about this, we go on, <clears throat> suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? Which I think is the best and greatest question ever asked. In fact, um, I think we can still ask that question, don't you? Yeah. Why do we search for the living among the dead? And they go on and they say, he's not here, he is risen. Which, by the way, was one of the early confessions of the church, that he was risen. If you were a believer in Jesus, not only would you say Jesus is Lord, but you would also say Jesus is risen from the dead. He is not here, he is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. So we have these two angelic beings who are helping these women connect the dots. He said this, remember? Yes, and they remembered. What's interesting with Luke is that post-resurrection, after Jesus walked out of the tomb, there are a couple of different instances where uh, his disciples, people who had followed him, get a little bit of help connecting those dots. And Luke often records this, and they remembered, and they remembered. So here we have that again. Human beings are a forgetful lot, aren't we? I mean, we have short memories, I guess is probably the way to say it. But we do forget, and sometimes God helps, has to help us remember things. So imagine that scene. <clears throat> imagine these women, this group of women who are there to do a very unpleasant task. They find things completely different. And so what do you do? You, you can't find the work, and so you head back to where you, where you came from. And so they got back from the tomb, and they... They told all of these things to the 11 disciples. Remember, at this point, Judas had left and had killed himself. He told all of these things to the 11 and to all the others. And then Luke makes a point of pointing out the names of the, the, the prominent women, Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James. And these three in particular um, are mentioned throughout Luke's narrative about Jesus, and they serve more or less um, as, as a, in a prominent role. But here's the other interesting thing. The definition of an apostle is someone who has um, been given a message to give to others. And so in this particular case, here we have this group of women who were essentially the apostle to the apostles. Does that make sense? I mean, talk about girl power, right? You have this group of women who are given a specific message to tell the rest of the apostles what, what had happened. It's an amazing thing. Amazing thing. We see this in the other Gospels as well. Mm. But, <clears throat> like a lot of guys, they did not believe the women because their words seemed like nonsense. And, 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 and wouldn't you feel that way too? 
if you had just watched your teacher be killed on a Roman cross in a very grisly, very horrific way, and here they are saying, wait a minute, his body's not in the tomb. Wait, that doesn't even make sense. And these two angelic beings, wait, what? That wasn't necessarily normal. Although you would think that they would have some type of inclination to this because of the miracles that Jesus worked. Even the transfiguration in, in itself, when Peter, James, and John, at least those three, had seen Jesus converse with Moses and with Elijah and, and, and be transfigured himself. And yet the group as a whole didn't believe them. But I want you to notice something. I want you to notice what, what happens with Peter. He got up and he ran to the tomb. He ran to the tomb. This is the same Peter. <clears throat> this is the same Peter who said to Jesus, I will never leave you. And yet denied him three times. Remember that story? While Jesus was being tried, Peter is outside the courtroom, so to speak. Somebody recognizes him and says, hey, aren't you one of this guy's disciples? No, I don't even know him. Three times he does it. This is the same Peter who, who couldn't pray with Jesus even an hour in the Garden of Gethsemane before his arrest. This is the same Peter who struck the ear off of one of the men who came to arrest Jesus. This is the same Peter who did all of those things and carried all of that guilt and all of that shame with him. Here's the thing I want you to think about. When he heard the news, I can't imagine what, what went through his mind, but... He wasn't afraid of Jesus. He wasn't afraid of him. So he ran to the tomb to check it out. And I think that's a lesson for all of us, actually, is that regardless of what you've done, Jesus isn't angry with you. Jesus wants you to reconnect with him. We see that demonstrated in Peter in a number of different places, but in this one in particular, he ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away wondering to himself what had happened. Now, there's a word that I want to point out here that I think is, is important. Um, in English, we see it twice in this passage. It's the word wonder. Uh, very interesting word. Um, first, we see it in verse 4. While the women were wondering about this, suddenly two men in... Um, uh, in clothes that gleamed like lightning, stood beside them. So while they were wondering about this. Now, this word in the Greek language is aporeo. And it means perplexed. While they were perplexing about this, and it carries with it this idea of trouble, almost doubt. And, and, and you can see that, you know, they, they come to the tomb, the stone is rolled away, the body is not there, and there is a certain troubling aspect to this. Where is the body of Jesus at this point? They're perplexed. This doesn't make sense. It does not compute. They're, there's no categories for this. And so, consequently, 
we see this idea of them being perplexed. However, Peter went away wondering to himself what had happened. The word here is different. Thaumazo. Thaumazo. It's less questioning. It's a very specific word, but it's, it's not the same as being perplexed. Rather, it's more about amazement. And in some cases, it's, uh, it's translated as marveled. And he went away marveling to himself what had happened. Does that make sense? There's this idea of what just happened. Not doubtful, not troubled, but something's up. He detected that something was, was different. Of course it was. And this word is so fascinating because throughout Luke's narrative about Jesus, throughout his entire biography, we see this over and over and over again, this idea of marvel. Hey, remember the shepherds? Yeah, the shepherds when Jesus was born, the one the angels came to, and they were sore afraid. Well, when they went to see the baby and they left the baby, they told others all of the things that they had seen, all the things they had experienced. And it says that the people marveled. When Jesus' parents found him in the temple conversing with the rabbis, remember that? That story, Jesus is probably like 12, 13 years old. He's just a teenager, young teenager. And he's running with the big dog, so to speak. The text says that his parents marveled. And when he started preaching, the audience, very first time, marveled at the words that he was saying. And when he calmed the storm, remember that story? The disciples, yep, marveled. And when the religious leaders failed to trap him in a debate, they marveled at him and his skill. And here we are at the empty tomb, and we find people, we find him marveling. He marveled. And here you thought Disney and Stan Lee owned Marvel. No, not at all. Is the empty tomb still marvelous for us? I mean, think about it for a moment. Is it marvelous to us, or do we just accept it as Christians and kind of go on with life a little bit? You see, I have this nagging question that's been in the back of my mind for a number of weeks. You know, we, we see this group of women, and we've seen, we've see, we see Peter... Um, and they're, they're wondering about this. One is, is troubled and perplexed, and the other one is marveling about it. But remember, they're wrapping their minds around this for the very first time. Now, I can't imagine the theories that are running through their heads, or, or if they're trying to imagine what the ramifications are for all of this. But as they're going, going through that, they're wondering, because it's new. It's for the first time. On the other hand, you and I, well, we've had a few centuries to digest and become more accustomed to this idea um, of the resurrection. And yet, I still have this nagging question, and it goes like this. What does the resurrection mean for me? Is it something that I marvel over, or is it something that I just accept and kind of go on with things? What does the resurrection mean for me? What does the resurrection mean for you, personally? Now, look, I understand all of the theology behind this. 
you know, because Jesus eliminated death as a final consequence, I can spend eternity with God. Yes, that's true. We call it heaven, right? And a lot of us came to faith believing in this idea. Yes, and I am very grateful for that. And also, as the ultimate sacrifice, Jesus makes it possible for us to have peace with God. Forgiveness is a powerful, powerful thing. And I'm grateful for that as well. And I affirm all of this stuff. I, I, I think that's all true. I believe it with all my heart. And yet, and yet, if the resurrection is that enormous, if the resurrection is that epoch shifting, if the resurrection changes everything, if the resurrection has a cosmic effect, the ramifications of which my mind cannot comprehend, if all of that is true, how does it affect me this afternoon? Or when I wake up tomorrow morning? Or how I treat my family? The people that I know, people that I come in contact with. How does it affect the choices that I make? How, do, how does it affect the way I deal with things like pandemics and economic recessions? What does the resurrection mean for me? What does it mean for you? I think it's worth pondering a little bit. Later on in Luke's writings, Jesus tells his disciples, now that he's resurrected and appearing to them, he says that they're supposed to wait for power from on high so that they would be his witnesses. So it wasn't just about a place that they were going to go when they die, but there was still something for them to do even though he was moving on, that he was moving back to heaven. There was still something for them to do the next day or the next week, the next month, and for the rest of their lives. So in light of all of that, I'm, I'm grateful for the peace that I have with God through Jesus. Don't get me wrong, I'm very grateful for that. God isn't angry with us. And I can always count on his compassion and his mercy. And that's something we have to keep in mind, that we do have peace with God because of what Jesus did. But the empty tomb also means that his Holy Spirit was released to all who follow him. That's what Jesus was talking about, to wait for power from on high. To wait for power in Jerusalem. Hang on, it's coming. And that Holy Spirit was released on them. And I can also live with his presence in my life every single day, counting on his guidance. I can actually hear him. He can speak. He can speak through his word. He can speak through the wisdom of others. He also speaks through circumstances and sometimes a direct word from him, which is really awesome when that occurs. But the point is, is that we can have peace with him, but we also can have his presence with us as well. And I suspect that as I um, continue to live my life with his presence, that his power will come as I endeavor to try to help him bring about the kingdom. So it's 
peace with God, but it's the presence of God and ultimately the power of God that helps me get through the next day. What does the resurrection mean for me? At least those three things. Certainly peace with God, but also the presence of God because I need that daily. I certainly need it now and, and from time to time the power of God to move on the behalf of his people in his kingdom. So I'm just going to encourage you um, to think about that today. As you go to eat your Easter dinner, whatever it happens to be, <laughs> um, that you might pause for a moment and ask yourself, look, if, if I really believe this thing called the resurrection, what, is it, what does it mean for me? Is it just something that happened a long time ago once and, uh, you know, hey, I made that decision and, and now life just kind of goes on? Or, or is the resurrection something that continually pops up day in and day out? The resurrection of Jesus means this, that God wants to have a relationship with you, that he wants to talk to you, that he wants to guide you and lead you in moment-by-moment moment decisions. I just encourage you to think about that. What does the resurrection mean for you? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I am so grateful that that tomb is still empty and that we can read about it on this day and we can celebrate it. We can celebrate it with each other, whether we're next to them or whether we're connected to them digitally all across the uh the city here, and even across the country, I guess, too. God, I would pray, though, that the resurrection wouldn't just be one day out of the year. And I also pray that the resurrection wouldn't just be one day out of every week where we pause to occasionally think about it, but rather the resurrection and the power, the power behind that resurrection would be made manifest in each one of our lives day in and day out. That we would have peace with you, we would have your presence, and then when we needed that your power uh, would show up in those ways that only you can that only you can do. For every person that calls Thrive Church home and every person that is uh, um, viewing us from across the country. God, I pray that you would bless them, Lord, that you would protect them from the coronavirus. You would protect them from the economic um, challenges that are sure to come because of it. Oh, God, please be with your people. Allow your resurrection to, to begin to do its work again in our hearts, to do it again in our minds and our behaviors and, and just our interactions. The power that's behind an empty tomb is really love. And I pray that you would speak that love in ways that each person would understand it today. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen.